In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Apostle St. Paul exhorts us, put on the new man, who according to God is created in justice and holiness of truth. This phrase which speaks of the grace we receive at baptism, and again is even used by clerics at the time when they first take on the surplus as newly ordained clerics of the church, is today tied to what may be termed a difficult verse of the gospel, one which renders today's entire parable more difficult and challenging for all of us. Were it not for this conclusion of today's epistle, of today's gospel rather, we might be able to conclude that today's gospel is a simple happy ending, as we like to term it in modern storytelling and movie making. The parable of the king who invites people to his son's wedding, and those who are first invited spurn the invitation and do not desire to come. So then he calls others, both good and bad, and the marriage hall is then filled with guests. One might desire that the parable simply end there, and then be a sweet story about welcoming and sharing. Instead, it continues, the king went in to see the guests, and he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. And he saith to him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having on a wedding garment? But he was silent. And then the king said to the waiters, Bind his hands and feet, and cast him into the exterior darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. In order to appreciate the importance of this conclusion of the parable, I would like to return to a topic which I promised I would return to several weeks ago when I spoke to you about the old law. I told you at that time that there are two great errors that persist in our time concerning the law of the Old Testament. The first one, which I treated in that sermon several weeks ago, concerns those who believe that the old law is still in force, and that in fact it is the means by which the Jewish people can be saved, even here in our time. The purpose of that sermon was to explain that the perennial teaching of the Church, which comes directly from the New Testament itself, is that of course the old law has been achieved. It is no longer in force, and one can be saved today only by observing the new law promulgated by the Messiah. But there is another error which endures in our time concerning the old law. It dates rather from the Protestant revolt, and it continues to be propounded by their errors today, whether they go by the name of Protestant, Evangelical, or Bible Christian. It is rooted in their novel and false interpretation of the phrase found so often in the epistles of St. Paul, the works of the law. 
By all means, they say, the law of Moses is no longer to be observed, for Christ came to fulfill it. And it is faith in Christ alone which now avails unto salvation. But what, they ask, is fundamentally flawed in the old law? It is, they say, the fact that it is based on works. According to Protestants, we must all renounce the idea that we can ever truly do good deeds, that any of our actions as God's creatures can ever be pleasing to him. The only pleasing thing they say that we can ever do is to make an act of faith. And faith, for them, is nothing more than trusting that Christ has saved us. If we do that, then we are saved. And we can already refer to ourselves as saved, regardless of how bad our other actions may be. It is not hard to perceive the parallel which they then proceed to draw. Listen, they say, to what St. Paul tells his flock, especially the Galatians. Evil seducers coming in, sowing weeds among the wheat of their simple faith by telling them that their faith in Christ was not enough, that they must pile upon it the vain and onerous works of the law. Well, it is no different then with the Church of Rome today. The papists are cheating men out of their inheritance in Christ. All we need to be saved is to accept Christ as our Savior. But Rome has placed us in a new captivity by telling us that we must fast, say prayers, give alms, that our salvation comes through participation in ceremonies, not just baptism, but six other so-called sacraments, and the use of countless objects blessed by a human minister. The cross of Christ for them is not enough. No, we must attend another sacrifice, at least once a week. Can't they see? They see that we're all hopelessly wicked and wretched, and only the blood of Christ can cover our sins. No, Rome says we cannot have Christ's forgiveness unless we kneel down before a man who calls himself a priest and forgives our sins in God's name. Well, let us cast off this cruel yoke, open our Bibles, and return to God's simple word. The immediate result of this novel doctrine was jubilation throughout the countries that succumbed to it with its more enthusiastic practitioners engaging in the most scandalous public sins just to show off how their good works, or rather how their works, good or bad, had no effect on their standing with God, who had shown them his favor through their faith alone. Truly, if they had opened their Bibles they would have seen that this could not possibly be the meaning of St. Paul. Even in that epistle where he speaks so clearly against the works of the old law, concludes his thought with the words, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working in charity. The works of the old law are not of any avail, it is true, and they existed only to give us knowledge of sin and the need for a savior. The works of the new law, however, promulgated by Jesus Christ, are most certainly there for our sanctification. They are works of charity 
which we perform by cooperating with God's grace and thereby merit eternal life. And of course, if we turn from St. Paul to the other apostle, St. James, we find this teaching even more clearly expressed. For St. James proclaims, What shall it profit, my brethren, if a man say that he hath faith but hath not works? Shall faith be able to save him? If a brother or sister be naked and want daily food, if one of you say to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet give them not those things that are necessary for the body, what shall it profit? So faith also, if it have not works, is dead in itself. This passage so angered the great, the great revolutionary Martin Luther that he removed the epistle of St. James from his new German Bible, placing it in an appendix, just as he had done with several books of the Old Testament. If I bring up, however, this heresy of those who have separated themselves from the flock of Christ, it is not to give us an occasion to glory over the Protestants. For indeed, the teaching that we find in today's parable is for our instruction and sanctification. So let us return then to consider this wedding garment. Our fathers in the faith, who came long before the Protestants, are of one mind in teaching that the wedding garment does not signify baptism as such, or the baptismal character, but rather the virtue of charity and good works. Good and bad have been invited to the feast. Some of the bad will persevere in their conversion, and some will fall away, as will some who are now good. The fact that the king sees only one man without a wedding garment, as the parable describes it, should not lead us to conclude that he was the only man lacking the proper dress, any more than it is only one lost sheep in the parable of the lost sheep. We are not being asked here to reflect on the number of those who are lost. Those who were initially invited were found unworthy because of their hardness of heart. We have been invited to take their places, but we shall be found no more worthy than they unless we persevere in keeping unsullied our wedding garment of charity. For indeed, to belong to the flock of Christ by faith alone is a term that even St. Thomas Aquinas was familiar with. He tells us that to belong to Christ by faith alone is to be in the state of mortal sin. For we must all belong to Christ not only by faith, but also by hope and charity. As St. Gregory the Great explains to us today, if we desire to have a wedding garment, at the marriage, we must keep these two precepts of charity. Like the temple curtains, charity must be twice dyed in scarlet. This dye has the appearance of fire. And what is charity if not fire? Our charity must be twice dyed, once with the love of God and once with the love of our neighbor. Let it then enkindle within it both the love of God and the love of our neighbor in that it shall not, out of compassion for our neighbor, forsake the contemplation of God, nor cleaving more than it ought to the contemplation of God, throw from it compassion for its neighbor. 
Every man, therefore, who lives among men, let him long after him whom his soul desires, yet so that he does not abandon him with whom he runs, but let him so help his neighbor that the love of him to whom he runs may not grow cold. This is the garment which we have all received on the day of our baptism, signifying the virtue of charity infused into our souls. It was cleansed of original sin. This is the garment which we must keep unsullied till the coming of the bridegroom. The description of the final judgment in the gospel leaves no room for doubt. Shall we be saved solely by our knowledge of the catechism and having kept away from bad company? No, our final sentence hinges on whether we shall have practiced the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Have our good works given life to our faith, and do they speak for it now? The answer shall determine whether we hear from our King, Come, you blessed of my Father, possess the kingdom, or depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. If thou wilt enter into life, Keep the commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. These are the words spoken to us long ago by the priest before we received the saving waters and put on our wedding garment. We are called to practice the love of God by our life of prayer and our devout reception of the sacraments which he has instituted for our salvation. And we are called to love our neighbor by the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. The bridegroom is coming. Let us run to meet him in that attire which will surely conduct us into the halls of heaven. Amen.